One, two, three. Oh, that was off. <laughs> you want to do it again? Yeah. <clears throat> I don't know that it matters that much, but. You know. No, but. One, two, three. Ooh. Nice. Still seemed a little off, but that's okay. Nah, <laughs> <laughs> it's fine. We'll yeah. be all right. It's fine. We'll be all right. That's my motto <laughs> for this day. It's a good quarantine motto. <laughs> Are you a good witch? Or a bad bitch, bad bitch, bad bitch. I've been a rebel all my life. We will not remain hidden figures. We have names. Oh, if this naughty to rules your lips, shake your shoulders, shake your hips, and let a lady confess I want to be bad. I didn't kid you, did I? Well, now you know. Hi, pretty uh, lady. Hi. <laughs> I won't ask how you are because we were just talking about um, finances and how they're cruddy and we hate them. So, yep. uh, you know, let's talk about um, how we want to be. Thriving. Thriving. <laughs> I like it. We should introduce our podcast. Oh, yeah. We? This this is Good Witches, Bad Bitches. This is a weekly podcast about ladies and their ilk. Welcome. <laughs> We We're are glad not you're safe here. for work. We curse a lot. We are research, but not scholarly research. And we hope you enjoy because we just like to talk about women we think you should know about. Yeah. Whether to learn lessons from or to inspire or both. I don't know. Yeah. There's so many I things. Because like sometimes we talk about really shitty women, but they were <laughs> fascinating. <laughs> and sometimes we talk about really awesome women. That, yeah. like, make me sometimes feel like, what the fuck am I doing with my life? That's going to be um, today's woman for sure. So just fair warning. <laughs> but um, I don't think there's, I think there are few people that are at her level. So um, don't feel too bad. That's okay. That's okay. valid. Right. Um, can I give you our first quarantine <laughs> intro? Because I found an yeah. article that's so irresistible. I have to tell you about it. Yes, Because I would tell you about that. This is like something I would text to you. Um, Perfect. But why not? Because I think our listeners might also enjoy. Um, it's uh, a piece from Pink News. And it's written by Lily Wakefield. And it's from May 13th. So by the time this comes out, it'll be like a week old. But still. Um, yeah. The headline is... This non-binary dominatrix is virtually humiliating clients on Animal Crossing and accepting <laughs> bells as payment. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, I'm sucked in already, so. A non-binary dominatrix has been using Animal Crossing New Horizons to humiliate clients during lockdown, beating them with a butterfly net, locking them in cages, and accepting bells as payment. Oh, my God. Denali Winter is a hairdresser and dominatrix based in San Francisco who's been getting creative with a Nintendo Switch game that was released in March and has taken the world by storm during the coronavirus pandemic. Winter told The Guardian that when lockdown went to effect, they knew their sex work, which they've been doing for seven years, would be severely impacted. They said, quote, sex workers are always adapting and this is just another layer of adaptation. I need to connect with my clients somehow. End quote. Oh, man. So they tweeted... <laughs> A bell emoji, all caps. So you want to be my little bell bitch? Bell emoji. <laughs> Here are some rules for those who wish to serve me in Animal Crossing New Horizons. Kissy emoji. Oh Remember the the best pets have also joined my OnlyFans. 
<laughs> wow. Winter advertises their services through Twitter, and in the game, they force clients to water their flowers and pay them bells, the Animal Crossing currency. If they disobey, they can be beaten with a butterfly net or locked <laughs> in a virtual cage. The dominatrix oh encourages God. clients to leave appropriate notes on their bulletin board. And one wrote, quote, thank you so much for allowing me to serve you, mistress. It's always such a fulfilling task to do your chores and there's nothing else I'd like to do more. Oh, End quote. that's so pure. <laughs> <laughs> kind of. Winter added that as a non-binary sex worker, many of their clients are interested in exploring their sexuality and playing with gender expression. Animal Crossing allows Winter's clients to experiment with clothing as a style, regardless of gender, which they said is often a more accessible way to explore than in real life. They said, quote, video games have been a way for people to explore their identity for a long time. This venue has attracted a lot of young gamers who want to dip their toes into getting dominated. It's completely safe to submit to someone in Animal Crossing. If you don't like it, you can log off at any moment, end quote. It's just so great that, like, they recognize that their clients still get fulfillment from the activity of submission even virtual submission yeah even through a (laughs) video game like i I feel like that tells you a lot about that mentality and and what it does for you i don't know just what it does for you even in like non-sexual situations for people who are interested in that and how clever to recognize that and then capitalize yeah. on it i think that's fantastic in like a very non-sexual way but yeah. it still kind of is sex adjacent right i don't know i just think it's i i find that so endearing and it is very innovative because like yeah. so many people are on it and also this is totally like a time where people feel very out of control and not that i'm any sort of bdsm expert in any way and i would never claim that but i feel like sometimes being a sub can be about giving over your control in a place that you feel safe doing so. Yeah. And when we feel so much chaos and feel like we're out of control of the universe of the planet right now, it might be nice to just let someone tell you what to do on Animal Crossing yeah. for a little while. Yeah. To just go water your mistress's plants in <laughs> Animal Crossing. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I have not explored Animal Crossing yet, but Me I've either. become more ben, and more curious. Ben as... has a Switch, right? I Yeah, he does. In fact, I think he told me that he has it and um, and that if I wanted to start playing it, that he would, you know, pull it up for me and show me. I've been dying show me all of that. at the beginning of uh, quarantine, like right when Animal Crossing came out, it was the first time I'd ever felt any sort of impetus to invest in a switch because there's also a game i really love on switch called overcooked um, overcooked yeah which is like a cooperative chef game but it's very cute it's it's very weird and it's very cute uh there's like an onion king that you're it's you time traveling anyway but oh it's just God. basically you're running around trying to do time management sort of cooking tasks but as a oh, team like you each I have think one you showed time. me this yeah yeah yeah, yeah. But, it's chaotic. It's yeah. so terrifying. <laughs> but switches, switches have been sold the fuck out everywhere. They had to stop oh. production in Japan um, because of oh. coronavirus. And I don't know if they've started back up or whatever. But they, because everybody's staying home, obviously, everywhere sold out of switches. I did That didn't even occur to me. Mm. So I couldn't even buy one if I wanted to waste that money. 
Speaking of is there anywhere else? It wouldn't be a waste. I would be enjoying it. But yeah, I mean, yeah. But is there anywhere else you can play it, or that's the only place? Nintendo Switch. Mm -hmm. Shit. Damn, dude. But it's okay. I have Stardew Valley, and I have. um, Yeah, there's no need to like spend your whole day playing. (laughs) I've been playing Fable Three on my roommate's old Xbox 360. That one will keep you busy. Yeah. Uh, anyway, I like it. Let's uh, let's get to a lady. Yeah, dude. But thank you for that. I that thought it might awesome. lift your spirits, and I thought maybe it would lift other people's too. Yes, I think it will. <laughs> Are you a good witch or a bad bitch? Let us know by becoming a patron on, on our, our Patreon. Patreon. <laughs> oh no! Patreon is a service that helps content creators like ourselves keep the ship going and make sure that we're able to cover all the costs that uh, come along with doing our podcast and the more patrons we get hopefully the more content we can start creating exclusively for patrons yes so if you are interested in something like that please become a patron so that we can start creating that content for you also when you become a patron you will get a shout out on our podcast and we will thank you personally on air how exciting is that very exciting yeah yeah you can find us at patreon.com slash podcast. not at all in that vein <laughs> i'm sure <laughs> i am i'm talking about somebody today who i came across um, because I've been doing some research for revisions on my manuscript, which is like a lot of, it's it's science fiction-ish, and so I've been doing a lot of like quantum physics deep dives, which is just like, you know, insane. Yeah. Um, But it's also still Asian American Pacific Islander Month. And so when I came across this person, I was like, okay, this is the most perfect thing I could be talking about right now. Um, so some of my sources today are womenofthehall.org. Like H-A-L-L? Hall? H-A-L-L. I think it's like it's like the Hall of Fame, Women of the Hall. Scientificamerican.com in a blog from Maya Weinstock beyondcurie.com and cosmosmagazine.com in an article by Zing Tseng. So so the person I'm talking about today has been referred to as the first lady of physics and her name is Qian Xiang Wu. You picked an area of expertise in which I have very very minimal knowledge so yeah and and i have to apologize because some of this information is gonna get like a tad bit science heavy only because i find it so fucking fascinating and so you know if your eyes glaze over i'm so sorry but um just a warning uh so dr chen sheng wu a pioneering physicist radically altered modern physical theory and changed our accepted view of the structure of the universe. Whoa. Yeah. When she was a student at the prestigious Suzhou Girls High School in the Chinese city of Suzhou, she encountered a biography of Marie Curie, the great chemist and physicist who became the first woman to win a Nobel Prize and the only woman to win it twice. 
So obviously I have to do her at some point because yeah. I feel like we all know the name Marie Curie, um, but maybe not quite as much about what she did. Yes. Um, so Curie's achievements ignited a lifelong passion in a teenager who was already so devoted to science that she spent her free time teaching herself physics from textbooks borrowed from friends. But Wu probably never imagined that she would grow up to be a scientific pioneer just like her hero. Um, yeah. So She probably in, hoped. <laughs> yeah, I think she, she really loved physics for physics, but I don't know that she ever saw herself going quite the distance that she went, um, which was very far. So born in 1912 to two politically progressive parents in an era when Chinese girls were still expected to bind their feet and grow up to serve their male compatriots. That's a funny word. I think that came from... When did foot binding stop being a mainstream cultural thing? I feel like 1912 is later than I expected to hear. I um, I think until the fall of the last Chinese dynasty... Wow. It was still a pretty prevalent practice. I don't want to be quoted on that because, oof, it's probably not totally, I don't know. I don't want to assume that's super accurate because I didn't look it up. But, um, not but that I, specific question. Yeah, we're but not, I think that's true. We're not true. a scholarly podcast, a <laughs> yeah. reminder. But Sometimes I do... one of us will ask a question of the other that <laughs> we did not research. Yeah. Um, yeah, and to keep it short, I'm not going to sit here and Google it for you. But I do think it lasted through that dynasty, which, you know, was... Wild. Yeah. So, yeah, she uh, she grew up in that era, but her parents were progressives. And um, she came to symbolize to them their hopes for the future of the country. And with the end of the revolution that overthrew China's last imperial dynasty and the inauguration of the Republic of China... There was a sea change of attitudes and a new generation of leaders eager to overturn the status quo. One of those leaders was her father, who was an engineer by training and who believed strongly in equal rights for women, which is like amazing. Um, He felt that the best thing he could do to help his daughters and his peers was to start a school for girls because there wasn't one girls didn't go to school right (laughs) so it was the region's first school for girls and her parents in the 20th century Mm -hmm. yep yeah Uh, yeah i think even so she was born in 1912 and she would have started going to school like eight years old so like seven or eight um Yeah, and she was an inquisitive child from the get-go, which I think from our introductory paragraph you could probably guess. And she was one of the first girls to obtain a formal education in China. Crazy, right? Um, She whizzed through the elementary grades and left home at the age of 10 or 11 to continue her education at Suzhou Girls High, which was far enough away from home that, like, she didn't see her family all that often. She basically lived at school. It was a boarding school. Okay. And she was there for the next seven years. And she worked day and night on her studies. She kind of became known as, like, the girl who just lived in the library and She's never the stopped. Hermione of her school. A hundred percent. Yep. <laughs> that was, like, her hobby. It was her. It was her work and her hobby. And so 
she just was constantly studying good for her um that's, that's you got to be quite the type of person to uh, just want to yeah. always be learning but to be fair most school systems these days kind of beat love of learning out of people so I know. Yeah, we don't we don't really we don't really encourage it in that way. And I think she obviously is a unique person in that she happened to love it, but also was encouraged was encouraged in such a huge way by her parents. And um so I have to assume that they also had something to do with it where they were like, "We want you to be great, but I mean, maybe they weren't dicks about it." I don't know. Right. That'd be nice. Um but either way, she, you know, she worked so hard that um, her grades were way fucking impressive. And before she'd even graduated, the National Central University in Nanjing waived the usual entrance examination requirement and just went ahead and offered her a place at their school. Shit. So they were like, they you gotta don't have to apply. They got to be pretty confident in her skills. <laughs> yeah. They were like, She's you're great. Good. Just come come to school over here. You don't even have to apply. You just can matriculate here if you Jeez. want. And so she did. And she graduated from there in 1934 as their undisputed top student. Wow. But um, once again, she found herself up against a wall because the university didn't have a graduate physics program. And she, having found that biography about Marie Curie and having done more studies into physics on her own time was starting to really become fascinated by the universe and by, you know, just the way shit worked. And there was no graduate degree available for her to study those things in China. Um, So she left for the United States and she kind of thought she would just be there for a short time and get her degree and then she would go home to China and become a, you know, scientist back in China. Um, when but, uh, when yeah. was this? Like what year? She she graduated in 1934. So okay. yeah, um, right. probably, probably before the fall sometime right. that year. All right. And yeah, 1934. And yeah, you you have a, a quizzical look on your face that That's makes me still think. early. Yeah, it's still early. Um, but yeah, so she ended up in California, and she was pretty much there to get her degree, and that was it. Um, and she ended up never going home. Wow. She she actually never saw her family again. Well, that's sad. It's kind of sad. And there are some things that she dealt with later on that, you know, are a little bit of a bummer, but also part of the reason she never went home again was, A, the rise of communism was really scary for her family and they didn't mm-hmm. want her to come home mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in the middle of that. But she was also like deep in her studies. She was she was doing some right. really incredible shit. She didn't want to have to get up and, and leave it behind. Right. Um, so the United States in the 1930s saw the dawn of a new era in scientific inquiry um atomic physics weird since it was the great depression well yeah but earlier that century we got the very we got this uh albert einstein's law of special relativity and then 10 years later we got the law of general relativity so it like only it had only been like 15 to 20 years since 
he exploded our right. world with right. general relativity. And once that started you know, getting gears turning, it was like, oh my God, you know, if that's, if that's the case, then this could be the case and that could be the case. And people were just like, really, you know, there's a reason that he's like, we see him, like he's such a, a, a well-known figure because he was kind of a celebrity at the time too. Yeah. You know? What, how interesting to have like a celebrity scientist. I feel like that doesn't happen as much anymore. Yeah. But when you're in the midst of a scientific revolution, yeah, you know, Shit. it's kind of yeah, it's kind of a big deal, and so a lot of a lot of really amazing discoveries were being made, and scientists whose names we still talk about to to this day, um, even in the general, you know, what's the word I'm looking for? Consciousness, I guess. Um, that's when they were living and doing their doing their experiments. Um, so yeah, so atomic physics in particular took a major step forward in 1931, when future Nobel Prize winner Ernest Lawrence, with the help of graduate student M. Stanley Livingston, built the first cyclotron, a particle accelerator that uses magnetic fields to speed up and smash together atomic bits so yes. that their interactions can be studied precisely. There are massive cyclotrons around the world, <laughs> like huge underground tunnels of the like the circumference is just absolutely huge. Yeah. I've yeah, now there these. are a few. Yeah. And he and he made them possible. He made the first one. Wow. Which is crazy. And he won the Nobel Prize for it. Um, so he and his cyclotron were based at the University of California at Berkeley, which was fast, yeah, of course, which was fast becoming the world's leading hotspot for the study of the atom, um, which is why she ended up there, because apparently she was actually on her way to the University of Michigan, where she was going to go get her, her PhD. But with some downtime before her classes started, she decided to just pay a visit to the Berkeley campus because she knew it had a world-class physics department. And um, only a few days there, she changed her plans entirely. Whoa. Um, yeah. For starters, she made the acquaintance of a fellow Chinese physics student named Luke Wan, who would go on to become a permanent fixture in her life because they got married later on. Um, and... <laughs> that was such a cute way to to phrase that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he would he would go on to become a permanent fixture because they got married. You know, but also I mean, I always find like scientific couples so interesting because I'm sure that I'm sure that the very first thing they ever did was just geek out about science together, and then they just got to spend their whole lives geeking out about science. I mean, that's pretty fucking cool. I mean, to Even be out fair, like you and Benji are both creatives and you guys geek out over creative stuff all the time. Exactly. I think that's why it's so nice because like I'm lucky enough to have that in my own field and and it's great. Yeah. Um, in fact, someday I want to do Albert Einstein's wife because she is uh, supposedly a much bigger influence on his science, you know, discoveries than anybody has ever given her credit for. 
That sounds like ripe but, for GWBB podcast. Yeah. But, you know, when you're a science couple, it's like it makes sense because you would be talking about science all the time. Bounce ideas off each other, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, yeah. So she married Luke and later on. Um, but after a meeting with an obviously impressed Professor Lawrence, who, you know, created the cyclotron, she was invited to pursue her graduate work at Berkeley. And... Uh, an opportunity to study under some of the legends of nuclear physics, which included not only Lawrence, but also the future Manhattan Project director, Robert Oppenheimer, Cool, was a dream come true for her. She, um, she desperately wanted to learn as much as she could about the fundamental nature of matter. And so she changed her plans and stayed in Berkeley. Wow. Yeah. Kind of crazy to be like, yes, I'm on my way to Michigan, but I'm just going to stop in California for a few days. Hey, see what's up. (laughs) And then, oh, shit, this physics department is where I need to be. Yeah, like they are clearly doing some some sweet, sweet stuff. (laughs) Get a look at that cyclotron. Um, Is that a pickup line? (laughs) Yeah, maybe. You don't know. So not quite a year after Wu's arrival in California... International headlines reported devastating news. Japan had invaded China. Um, Since landing in the U.S., Wu had remained in close contact with her parents, her brothers, and her sister. But after the invasion, she wouldn't hear another word from her family for eight years. That's scary. It's so scary. Um, By the end of 1937, some 42,000 civilians in her home province of Nanjing alone had been raped or murdered by Japanese troops. Um, and four years later, the conflict would officially emerge with World War II after the attack on Pearl Harbor. Wow. So, yeah. So she was really worried about her family, but work was her refuge. She carved out a reputation as a meticulous and dogged experimental physicist of the highest caliber. By 1940, she had completed her Ph.D. and was considered an expert Um, or the authority, according to Robert Oppenheimer, in the new science of nuclear fission, which was the splitting of large atomic nuclei either by an induced nuclear reaction or by natural radioactive decay. Uh, Yeah. Just, like, to have Oppenheimer be like, she's the authority. Like, you want to ask about nuclear fission, talk to Wu. Whoa. So, Yeah. Um, And it was during this time that scientists led by physics icon and future Nobel Prize winner Enrico Fermi were attempting, unsuccessfully, to produce the first large-scale, self-sustaining plutonium chain reaction at a research facility in Hanford, Washington. Fermi's reactions to that point would run for a few hours, but then sputter out and die without explanation. So to deduce the issue, he was told to call on Wu. Among physicists, the saying apparently went, if the experiment was done by Wu, it must be correct. What a reputation to have. (laughs) I know. That, like, because she just, she was of the mind that if you couldn't ultimately get it right or or figure out the answer to the problem, then it wasn't worth doing. So she just did everything 110%. She did everything to get it right and to always find the answer. I wish I had that kind of tenacity. <laughs> I know, me too. Sometimes it's, I think I do, and then sometimes I'm like, Ugh. 
it's she good is, enough. Uh, yeah, that's, I mean, and here's the secret, Deanna. Usually it is good enough. You don't have to do 110% every time. All right. She just, you know, she just, that was she her was passion. She was a special type of genius. I guess so. Like, that's what's, that is what sustained her, and that's okay. Right. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, so uh, in his autobiography, her mentor, another later Nobel winner, Emilio Segre, recalled, Wu's willpower and devotion to work are reminiscent of Marie Curie, but she is more worldly, elegant, and witty. Whoa. I know. So Fermi but called on But you don't got to shit on Marie Curie to, to compliment <laughs> Wu. I know. And also, you notice how those uh, compliments are not about science or her ability to do science. She's more elegant. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, uh, we we may just cut that one, but you know, I liked I liked seeing the things that other people said about her, just because they are available and it's interesting. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, clearly the only reason he would say something like that is because Marie Curie is long dead at that time. Yeah. Yeah. So you don't need to like... flatter her. <laughs> right. Um. So yeah, for me, called on Wu, who swiftly deduced that the problem was the buildup of xenon, a plutonium fission byproduct. Like Girl from the Future? <laughs> That's Did right. you that see my her face name, wasn't the it? second you said it? I was like... <laughs> yes. That was why I paused, because I was like, what kind of breakthrough did you just have? It was a good one. It was Thank very <laughs> important. Thank you. Xenon, yeah. I think that it was her name, wasn't yeah. it? Girl of the 21st century. Yeah, so like Xenon. Uh, but in this case, it's an inert noble gas. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and it turned out that the particular isotope produced in Fermi's chain reaction had a tendency to capture stray neutrons. I'm sorry that this is what so science I just mean, love it. What does that mean, though? It's interesting, but what does that mean? So I'm sorry. Woo, I'm, not a no. nerd in, I'm not a nerd in this way. <laughs> it's okay. I'm hoping that the next part will sort of explain it. Um, so Wu knew that the more xenon built up in the reaction chamber, the more neutrons would be captured, right. and the fewer neutrons would be available to induce future reactions. So basically, in this so you reaction, need you, you need, need the them. neutrons. Okay. And this this xenon reaction that he was having was pulling them. the neutrons out. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we Neutral got it. Neutral atom particles. We got there. Yeah. There's yeah. protons, electrons, and neutrons. There's so many more you don't even know. Oh, shit. <laughs> we don't have to get into it. Um, so, yeah, she was right, and Fermi's team corrected the glitch in short order. And just like that, Wu had solved one of the trickiest problems in all of experimental physics. I think I have heard of this woman. I, if, like, I can't believe that I've never heard of her, but I also feel like I must have and just... I don't know, not retained it because she's so incredible. And this is just not even halfway through. I'm these are long notes, but you know, there's That's so much fine. amazing I'm, shit. I'm on board. I'm all in. Thanks. Thank you. Um so yeah, it's kind of I mean, after that, like after solving this problem that had been dogging researchers for years, it's kind of a fucking shame that in 1942 she and her new husband had to move to the East Coast because while many of her colleagues at Berkeley had been recruited for the war effort, Wu was not asked to join, 
despite her considerable knowledge of atomic physics, as we just discussed, and neither was she asked to remain at Berkeley in a more permanent role. So they were just like, okay, bye. Thank you for your service. Goodbye. Yeah, thanks for solving some major issues for us and um, peace out. And um, yeah, so despite being a freaking genius, she was still a woman, I guess, and still a woman of Asian descent at a time when people were vilifying. She's still a woman and an immigrant, so. Mm -hmm. Yep. So her husband obtained a position at RCA Labs in Princeton, New Jersey, and they moved. Um, She accepted an assistant professorship at Smith College in Massachusetts, and so they lived 200 miles apart for a while because, like, that was the only job she she could get. That's only a few hours' drive. Yeah, they only saw each other on, like, nights, some nights and um, weekends. And they they would meet in between in New York. Kind of a, kind of a sad way to start a marriage. Yeah. they were newlyweds. Yeah. Um, But thank you, thankfully the situation was brief with a little help from one of her mentors who I can't remember who um, helped her with this, but one of her mentors reached out to a few universities on the east coast and was like you want to hire her like you want her on your faculty and she ended up getting offers from like five universities and ended up um teaching at princeton as princeton's first female professor at a time when the institution period period, (laughs) at a time when the institution was still not allowing women to matriculate Yeah, just wait. When just, did Princeton? 1969 is when Princeton started allowing women to matriculate. Yeah. Oh my God. Uh, yep. I remember being horrified about learning when Harvard started allowing women to matriculate as well. Mm-hmm. This was a long time ago on this podcast, so I don't know why I'm shocked. But you know, let me have yeah. this. I let me I have know. this giant eye roll. <laughs> I mean, I included it for the eye roll. You know. Thank you. It's an appropriate response because, like, to, to say, well, this woman's good enough to, like, we'll allow her to teach here, but we still don't think women should be allowed to learn here. I think that's super fucked up. However, it was a job and it allowed her to be close to her husband and Princeton is prestigious and blah, blah, blah. You're not like other girls. Yeah. That old carrot. Chestnut. Ugh fuck that old <laughs> I like that old carrot <laughs> I didn't catch that at first but oh my god that's adorable <laughs> that old carrot my brain cells are going away little by little oh, no. the longer I'm in quarantine <laughs> I shouldn't be trying to tell you about science right now should I <sighs> oh god <laughs> all right we'll we'll get there Um, So in 1944, Wu was invited to join the top-secret Manhattan Project under the auspices of her former professor, Robert Oppenheimer. um, Whoa, and fascinating since Japan invaded China. Yes. uh, They were developing a weapon to use against the Japanese. Yes. I, th- I do think that her ultimate goal, and she talks about this in interviews later on, like 
her ultimate goal was nuclear energy. Like, this was sort of a means to that end. But, um, yeah, I, I don't, they didn't know what the fuck they were really doing. Like, right. they knew the basics of it at an atomic level. They understood what they were achieving. But everyone was shocked when that bomb went off. Everyone. I mean, yeah, you know? Yeah, I don't, I don't think all of the scientists that were part of the project really thought beyond the fascination of the science itself. Right. It To the devastation and actual impact on humanity. Right. Yep. Yeah, it's interesting because I, I thought about that as I was as I was reading this particular section of her life and thinking about that, how like we could easily view that as something she was fine with doing because of the situation of her country. But, you know, she does talk about regretting how how all of that went down and how the technology was ultimately used because really what she's interested in is like bettering mankind through science like that's all she wants and yeah true but that's what every supervillain says too yeah but, but not every that I'm supervillain she is, is the hero of their I'm own just, story i'm saying yeah every person is the hero of their own story but you know yeah i can see how being, you know, recruited to this sort of prestigious top secret thing sounds exciting in theory. And then watching the the consequences of the actions in that room or yep. rooms. Yeah. And being like, fuck. Yeah. No. And you've <laughs> been recruited by your friend, you know, yeah. by your, your mentor, somebody you trust. Like, I see, I don't know, I see exactly why it's not even something that would have crossed her mind necessarily right you know in the bigger in the grander scheme of things um you can just be very myopic in your sort of yeah scope yeah exactly um so there were a fair number of women who were involved in the manhattan project you know they were chemists and technicians and mathematicians and computers um, but Wu was one of the very few women who contributed at the higher levels of physics research and the only Chinese person. Whoa. Um, and on August 6th, 1945, the work of Wu and thousands of others became known to the world when a uranium bomb was dropped on Hiroshima, Japan, uh, and had devastating results. She said later that she regretted it, as we talked about expressing the hope that the bomb was a one-off. She said, do you think that people are so stupid and self-destructive? I have confidence in mankind. I believe we'll, we will one day live together peacefully. Hmm. Yeah, I know. Yeah, morally complicated. Especially because the end of the war brought happy news for her. For starters, she hadn't heard from her family in eight years, and she finally got to talk to them. So, you know, if I think in her mind, her family was, was liberated and she helped do that. Mm. Yeah. But uh, her father was regarded as a war hero. I thought this was an interesting tidbit. He had apparently engineered the Burma Road, which was a crucial transportation route used by the Allies to send supplies to Chinese troops during the, the war and, and while they were occupied. Um. 
somewhat inexplicably like I just can't this shit is makes me so mad but after the war ended she was overlooked for several years for membership to the Columbia faculty and it was it was the Columbia University that was facilitating the Manhattan Project in a lot of ways and so she was familiar like she was on their campus all the time she knew everybody there and they were just like cool thanks bye same shit different same shit same shit, different day. Um, That's ridiculous. I know. So it, it, it took them... She should have been guaranteed a position. Yeah. It should have been like, immediate. Should, like, yeah, it should have know? been like, oh, obviously, obviously. But it took them eight years. Eight years? Eight years to offer her a faculty position at Columbia. What was she doing in the interim? She was... Still there, like in a sort of unofficial capacity. I think that I think that she would teach classes, but not as an official teacher. She was doing research. She was in and out of, you know, their science department, but it just wasn't as an official member of their science department. Right. So they were like utilizing her and capitalizing off of her research without like offering her that stability in return you know what not to go all tyra banks over here (laughs) but on a very small scale that reminds me of when i was in seventh and eighth grade and my english teacher would not let me be in the advanced class just because she had some sort of weird vendetta even though i tested very highly and obviously had the grades and she forced me to tutor the other students in class what but then, you know, went out of her way to try and prevent me from getting into the advanced English class. Even in high school, she tried to, like, prevent me from registering for that class because she knew it would so, upset me. she was fine with using you yes. and what you knew for yes. her benefit, uh-huh. but not willing to let you learn to your benefit. Uh-huh. Cool. She's cool, a cool, real cool. asshole. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds fun. I have weird teacher karma. I think we've talked a little bit about it. Especially yes. English teachers, for some reason. You're just, Female English teachers. They're threatened by you. They were threatened by my 12-year-old self, yeah. yeah. And 11-year-old. My 11-year-old English teacher, I was definitely smarter than. Um, but that's a whole different story for a different time. Tyra Banks Girl. went over. <laughs> and I liked it. I know how she felt. Let me tell you why. <laughs> On a very small scale. I like it. Um... Yeah, because it sucks. Mm-hmm. But uh, but thankfully, she did, you know, she did end up end up there in official capacity. And um, two years later, she and her husband finally became U.S. citizens. Wow. They had gone through this, like, crazy long naturalization process. I can't I don't know when they started. worked on the Manhattan Project. And As a like, non-citizen? Em- immediately granted, like... I know. I'm surprised they let her as somebody who wasn't technically a citizen. Only just because it's like, you know, defense. I I, I guess maybe I don't understand the intricacies of all of that. Clearly we don't. (laughs) But it is fascinating. Um, And it was a decision that they'd made, you know, becoming citizens after China became a communist state in 1949. They were like, just not... I'm not going to do that. Out of that citizenship. Yeah. I don't need to go back to that. 
Um, so for the next few years, she continued her research into beta decay, a radioactive process uh, in which the nucleus of an atom emits beta particles. What the fuck is... Never mind. <laughs> Um, it's only it's only important to know that because it was her work in beta decay that got her her next big gig for which she receives a lot of recognition. Um, because nobody knew how beta decay worked, and her expertise brought her to the attention of Tsung Dao Li and Chen Ning Yang two scientists who were investigating a law in physics known as the conservation of parity. Um, of it was what? believed the P -A -R -I -T -Y? conservation of parity. P-A-R-I-T-Y, the okay. conservation of parity. I was thinking P-A-R-D-O-Y for a sec. <laughs> and I was like, what? Does the conservation of, of goods? Of satire. satire. Yeah. yeah. No, sorry. Uh, no. Parity. Parity. And it was believed that fundamental symmetry governed everything in nature, including the behavior of atomic particles. This idea held sway in the physics community for nearly 40 years. Um, I mean, it makes sense if you have a poetic mind. Right. If everything works as it should, then everything should work as it should. <laughs> yeah. You know, simply put, parody states that nature does not favor right or left. If you watch a girl throw a, a baseball through a mirror, the law of physics will be the same both for the girl and for her mirror image. But Li and Yang theorized that parity might not exist with beta decay. They just needed someone to prove it. And obviously, that's a lot of science-y shit that, like, I, I don't understand the majority of that. However, I do think it's interesting that, like... It's where you just uh, nod your head and you're like... Mm. <laughs> mm, yes, indeed. That does make yeah. sense. But if you ask me to elaborate on why it makes sense, I yeah. don't know. Yeah, like, I get that that we feel like things should behave in a symmetrical manner and not favor one side or the other for no reason. But these guys were saying that might not actually be true. And we just don't know how to prove that it might not actually be true. So they called Wu. And using supercooled radioactive cobalt, who? She devised a series of experiments that later proved the so-called fundamental law of science totally wrong. If the law of parity was true, the cobalt nuclei would break down and jettison the same number of electrons in symmetrical directions. But after months of operating on only a few hours of sleep a night, Wu was able to prove that this wasn't the case. And it was major. I mean... yeah. I mean, like, that's like somebody being like, oh, I've disproved the law of gravity. Right. It's a, it is a, a fundamental physical law that we have been taking for granted for 40 years. And now someone is saying, actually, just kidding. <laughs> and um, yeah, it was, it was huge. It was explosive for her. Um, it landed her on the cover of the New York Times. Shit. And yeah. And she said, uh, Later on, we learn one lesson. Never accept any self-evident principle. Oh, my God. Which explains, like, if if you don't, if you never accept any self-evident principle, then you, like Wu, you are going to be working all the fucking time to just prove or disprove the laws of the universe. Like, your whole life is about that. Yeah. 
Um, so yeah, the parody results were so spectacular that they garnered a Nobel Prize that very same year. But not for Wu. What? In October of 1957, the Nobel Committee announced that Li and Yang had won the physics prize for their penetrating investigation of the so-called parity laws, which has led to important discoveries regarding the elementary particles. Uh, Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Who does that remind you of? DNA, Rosalind, Ros... Franklin. Thank you. Yep. Yep. What the fuck? Can you fucking believe that? Yes, I can. But it still <laughs> makes me so mad. It's so... I cannot believe that someone who has been called the first lady of physics failed to win a Nobel Prize for work that she... that couldn't have been done without her. Because she's the first lady. That's why. Right. Because ladies yeah. aren't... Ooh. Hannah. She's the, Ooh. she's a lady physicist. So. Oh no. <laughs> Just cuz she's the smartest lady physicist. That doesn't mean I know. that she can hold a candle next to all the big smart male physicists. I should have known. You should have known better. Sigh. Uh, okay. <sighs> Yeah. I would just love for someone to take that quote out of context. Be like, this supposedly feminist podcast <laughs> I know. said that lady physicists can't hold a candle to male physicists. <laughs> oh, God. No one do that, please. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Um, yeah, she she wrote to a, a fellow physicist. Um, Although I did not do research just for the prize, it still hurts me a lot that my work was overlooked. Thank you. At least she fucking said something about it. She was very disappointed. Yeah. She was really, really unhappy about it. Um, And thankfully, I mean, she had lots of friends in the community who really felt like she'd been robbed, like this this fellow physicist, Jack Steinberger, who, you know, as long as she lived, was like, you guys really should rethink that whole Nobel thing. Maybe. And they just never did. Uh. Um, She did rack up an enviable list of honors, awards, and firsts. Well, Um, I would hope so. You know, yeah, as we've already discussed most of them, um, but not all of them. And uh, all all before her official retirement from Columbia in 1981. Um, So over the two decades following the parody discovery, she would carry out many additional groundbreaking investigations, not only in the area of beta decay, but also in the fields of short-lived, quote, exotic atoms. And okay, yeah, which I don't know entirely what that means, but I need to go like deep dive down a rabbit hole to figure out what exotic atoms are. It's it's Joe Exotic's next husband. No, (laughs) no, no. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. What what was the thing about the carrot? Um, (sighs) That old carrot. That old carrot. (laughs) Okay. Um, And she even studied the biophysics of sickle cell anemia. Oh. Uh, I think that's the first time I've ever heard the word biophysics. Really? She's a, like the physics, but that's bio. Hannah, you broke my brain. <laughs> I'm just going to move on. What the fuck are biophysics, the, 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 the physical laws surrounding biology? 
yeah. in the natural world? Because if yeah. so, I guess that makes sense. Maybe I have heard the word. <laughs> I'm going to just let you slowly. But just, no, but that, yeah, unravel over here. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> it's because she's a physicist. That is like, I, to me, to me in my brain, biology and physics and chemistry, while we're at it, are all under the scientific umbrella, but are very different. I guess it's just like um, intersectional, like feminism and shit. Like they all intersect and are, you know, woven together. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, like Ben's brother is a biochemist. Chem- chemist. Whoa. <laughs> shit. <laughs> biochemist. That's the word I'm looking for. Fine. You know what? Delete all of this. <laughs> all right. Deal. I just sound like a moron. No, not. This is. There is a lot in here. There's a lot of shit in here that, like, we've never discussed or gone out of our ways to learn. So <laughs> I know. I'm testing your brain. Um, it's almost over. I'm so dumb. <laughs> no, you're not. So really quickly, just because she didn't win the Nobel, I want to talk about all the other cool honors that she got. So she, uh, her most distinguished honors were the Comstock Award of the National Academy of Sciences in 1964. Okay. The, the Tom Bonner Prize of the American Physical Society in 1974. Yeah. And that's the same year. She won that the same year she was named the society's first female president. All right. Um, she was honored for, uh, with the U.S. National Medal of Science in 1975, the Wolf Prize in Physics in 1978. She was selected as Italy's Woman of the Year in 1981. Uh, and, okay. Yeah. In 1990, she became the first living scientist to have an asteroid named after her. Asteroid 2752 Wu Chen And she was inducted into the United States National Women's Hall of Fame in 1998. And just a little bit more. Uh, her final contribution to physics came after her retirement in 81 when she of took time it to. Did. Yeah. When she took time to travel the world and speak to audiences of her successes in the lab and of being a woman in a male dominated field. She was not afraid to speak her mind about the miles yet to go before women would achieve any semblance of equal representation in math and the physical sciences, and she fervently hoped that the impressionable girls and young women she spoke to on her travels might take inspiration from her story (laughs) and go on to pursue careers in in the STEM fields. Uh, And we're still doing it. (laughs) (laughs) I know. We say um, as women who are not involved in STEM in any way. <laughs> I know. But hopefully I'm teaching somebody about a woman in STEM who then will inspire them. And Yeah. You know. Um, so, yeah, in, uh, on February 16th, 1997, she died of a stroke at the age of 84. Um, oh. Yeah. And uh, Tsung Dao Lee, who won the prize... That she, the one, the Nobel Prize. That she should have um, been included in. That she should have been included in, but with whom she remained friendly until her death. Said it plainly, C.S. Wu was one of the giants of physics. And um, in a quiet corner of the museum dedicated to her in her hometown of Laiuhi, 
her words appear as a final remembrance of her lasting legacy. Science is not static, but it's dynamic and ever-improving. It is the courage to doubt what has long been believed and the incessant search for verification and proof that pushes the wheels of science forward. And that is that. That's Chen Shengwu. Well, I'm glad it ended on a positive note after the complicated Manhattan Project (laughs) middle. Oh, I know. I know. Everybody's got to have that that complicated moment in their origin story. But you you were right. It is, is a week in which we have a person that makes me go, oh, my God. Oh, my God. I know. I know. We're on lockdown. We aren't allowed to do half the shit we would be doing anyway, even if we wanted to be productive. Which I don't. Which I don't. And here I am talking about the first lady of physics. She's a badass, man. She's a fucking badass. And we were alive for part of her life. Yep. I know. But still. We lived concurrently for a little while there. Yep. That's cool. Yeah. I Thanks, think she's dude. awesome. Yeah. Yeah. That was it was a uh, a joy to research her, especially just cuz I'm I'm in the mood. I'm in the mindset of you know, physics and the universe and all of that and um I don't know. It was just really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have some on this day. Lay it on If me. you would like. I do. All right. So it's May 20th. And um, there's some a couple interesting ones. Uh, in 1609, Shakespeare's sonnets are first published in London, perhaps illicitly, apparently, by publisher Thomas Thorpe. I wonder what the fallout was from that, because he wasn't dead yet in yeah. 1609. No, yeah. Because he not died dead. in 1616. Mm-hmm. I think. So. Yes. April 23rd, 1616. Yes. Hold, <laughs> Hold on. You would know better than I. William <clears throat> Shakespeare. April 23rd, 1616. Boom. Damn. There's that dramaturg. Oh. Uh, Sorry. That, I'm really proud of that. <laughs> I felt so stupid in all of this. <laughs> and I remember one <laughs> no. fact about Shakespeare. <laughs> no, you're not stupid. He died on his birthday. Oh, that's right. Mm-hmm. So weird. Um, this one is also for you. Uh, 1845 HMS Erebus and HMS Terror with 134 men under John Franklin sail from the River Thames in England, beginning a disastrous expedition to find the Northwest Passage. All hands are lost. Yeah. That was some rough shit. Gnarly shit. Um, 1862, Abraham Lincoln signs into law the Homestead Act to provide cheap land for the settlement of the American West. Approximately 80 million acres. Yeah, cool. Um, it's not like that land belonged to anybody or anything. Yeah, no. And I was trying to remember if this was the one where it was basically just like, um, go out and and claim land and then it's yours as long as you improve it. Maybe. Right? Yeah. I think I think that's, 
I feel like I watched an episode of Drunk History on this, <laughs> and I'm going to have to find it yeah. so we can watch Link it. Link to it, yeah. Yeah. Um, 1867, British Parliament rejects John Stuart Mill's proposals on women's suffrage. Which I was like, whoa, a dude is going to Parliament about women's suffrage? But That's sure enough. Because the only one that they'll listen to is a dude. <laughs> but they didn't even fucking listen to him. He was no. like, he was basically saying that we can't progress as a civilization and as a species if we're not equal. I was like, wow. 1867. All right. Yeah. Uh, 1873, Levi Strauss and Jacob Davis patent the first blue jeans with copper rivets. Whoa. <laughs> yep. <clears throat> this one was is so interesting. 1891, the first public display of Thomas Edison's prototype kinetoscope to members of the National Federation of Women's Club. Which I was like... I think that's the kinetoscope was um, like an early film, uh, you know, camera, cinema, cinema thing. You would know better than me on that one. But I just think it's interesting that- Thomas Edison was a real dick. Yeah, he's not a good guy. (laughs) Mm, He's bad. But I thought it was interesting that it was a women's club that got to see the first- (laughs) Ooh. The first thing. (laughs) Fantastic. Uh- 1927, Charles Lindbergh takes off from New York to cross the Atlantic uh, for Paris. 1930, the first airplane is catapulted from a, how do you say this? Do you say dirigible or dirigible? Dirigible. I, I hear, I've heard it both ways, and I'm never sure how I like to say it. That's how I say it, but I do. Yeah, no, it's I've heard it both ways. I think, like, you could do either, but... I don't know which one I like better, Deanna. Anyway. Keep the off first the airplane. dirigible plums. What? Keep off the dirigible plums. What is it's that? Is that like it's the outside, it, No, it's outside of Xenophilius' uh, Love Goods oh. house. Oh, my goodness. It's a deep cut Harry Potter reference. You're yeah, welcome. truly. <laughs> I was like, oh, God. Either she's crazy or I am. Um, well... <laughs> <laughs> so yeah the first airplane is catapulted from a dirigible very very weird i didn't That's realize that was how that was done <laughs> yeah goodbye good luck to you um 1932 amelia Earhart leaves newfoundland on her journey to become the first woman to fly solo and non-stop across the atlantic 1959 japanese americans finally regain their citizenship Yes, I wish you guys could see Deanna's face right now. The the look of shock and horror. I feel like this is something we've even discussed. I think so. still, I'm like, every time I'm reminded, I'm like... I know. It's so upsetting. It took almost 15 fucking years after the war ended. So awful. Well, it's weird that they were stripped of their citizenship in the first place. Like, that, that would... Yeah, it's fucked up. Yeah. So fucked up. 1990, the Hubble telescope sends its first photographs from space. That thing... First photographs. Is amazing. 1990. I know. But hey, the Earth is flat. Oh, well, of course. 
you know. Scientists, it's all a conspiracy. I mean, this whole episode, she full, full I of made shit. her up. Because scientists I made her up. don't know any, they're just inventing things for, yeah. you know, the Illuminati's sake. Yeah. And so am I. <laughs> we're in on it now. Yep. You don't even know the benefits we're reaping from this. <laughs> this episode is just rife with quotes to be taken out of context. <laughs> That's true. Don't do it, guys. Don't don't do us dirty like that. Please don't. Please. Um, so yeah, that is on this day, and that concludes the learning portion of our <laughs> episode. We are in rare form today. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. Tell me what you're what you're excited about. Sorry, there's banging noises coming from my kitchen. Yeah. Um, I mine is like really simple and and silly, but so during this time we are all finding like different ways of of finding brain peace moments yeah <laughs> um like things that quiet down our anxieties and everybody's different but but maybe some people will be the same as me in this is that i have been watching this one she's a danish youtuber um named uh avalyn a v e l i n e but she basically says evelyn um hmm. And she builds houses in The Sims. And so it's just like her voice is so calming and sweet. And they're usually like 17 to 30 minutes long, these videos of her just as the thing is, you know, it's playback of her building a house and her just discussing. There's usually a story behind it. Like this is a house I built for a single teen mom or like who has twins or this is a writer's treehouse cottage or this is you know, uh, a detective's home. And this is a a house for a big family who has like a teenager. But she has all these ideas and she's so good at it. It just blows my mind. These people who can build houses in The Sims that look so creative and stunning and like just the little details that they can do because they have cheats and stuff. But it's just very calming for me. And she's just... I don't know. It's 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 really weird. If you're into houses and you're into The Sims, I love go watch that. Avalyn's videos, and you can also she puts them all on the gallery because The Sims is all about people creating for other people to use. So it's online. So she puts all her houses up on The Sims gallery, so you can download her homes and play with them. Oh, yeah. But they're I love very that. calming. Very like you know stress-free invest like you don't have to invest any emotional energy just sit back and calm down but she's she's love you she's cool a-v-e-l-i-n-e avalyn evelyn um awesome i love it i'll send you one that i like so you can get a sense please do (laughs) because i like houses whether they're sims or not whether they're fake or not Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. dude thanks Sure. I love it. Uh, well, shit. It's been Are another we... week. Yeah, I think I think we've done our duty. We've given y'all something to think about. Hopefully, you had a good time. Hopefully, you had a good time. I know I did, even I though there was all did. that science. Yeah, science you is know. fun, Hannah. I think so. <laughs> science is relatable. It's a little inaccessible sometimes but then again so is talking about motherfucking shakespeare so very yes solid point fair enough i appreciate that yeah 
Yeah. But with a little bit of investigation and interest, you can become an expert. Or at least, you know, a, an armchair expert. Begin down the, that path. <laughs> yes, an armchair expert. That's for sure. Um, um, follow us on social media. We are on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook at GWBB Podcast. You can send us an email. You can just say hi if you want um, at GWBBpodcast at gmail.com. You can become a patron of ours at patreon.com slash GWBBpodcast or buy us a coffee on our Ko-Fi, ko-fi.com slash GWBBpodcast. Thank you for listening. We love you all. Hope you're all staying well and safe and not going crazy and losing brain cells like I am. Well said. And uh, on that note... (laughs) Peace out, witches. Good Witches, Bad Bitches. Thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate it. Good Witches, Bad Bitches is hosted by Deanna Greif. Me. You. And you. <laughs> Hannah Ferguson. And we're produced by Benjamin Garst. Um, you can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify. Google Play. Google Play. Pretty and much more. anywhere you listen to your podcasts, you can find us there. We're also on social media. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook, GWBB Podcast. You can also email us at GWBB podcast at gmail.com we love to receive emails if you have a story about a woman in your life that you want to hear on air uh, shoot it over to us we would love to read it if you want to help keep us running you can find us on patreon at patreon.com slash podcast <laughs> become a patron and help us you know pay for our hosting yeah patreon really helps content creators be able to continue to create their content and it just kind of helps us break even on the costs of producing this podcast and it would be really awesome if you wanted to help out if you like it you can be a part of it also to help us out you can rate review and subscribe all of the all of those things are extremely helpful for us they help other listeners find us yeah. Word of mouth, also good. Yeah. <laughs> our website is gwbbpodcast.com. You can find all of our episodes there, as well as some other things bubbling out of our witchy cauldron. Good Witches, Bad Bitches is powered by Moon Bounce. Moon Bounce.